selling a car, buying a kitten, looking for love. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> good morning, Geordie. How are you? I'm good, good, good. And welcome to our eavesdroppers. That's right. We're talking to you. Yes, you over there and you over there in France and you up there in Estonia. All of you. <laughs> and that one down in Australia and that one driving his car down to Cornwall. That's you, Marcus. All of our lovely eavesdroppers. Welcome back to listening to me and Michelle chatting shit. We are chatting shit. But at least you're not cleaning up shit. I've had to do a bit of that. Why? We've got the part-time cat. Oh. Actually, it's not shit, to be fair. It's it's entrails. What? It's mouse season. There are, there's entrails over here and there and everywhere. And Oh, lordy. They love it. Cats love it They right love now. an entrail. Oh, they leave that behind. She munches the entire mouse. I don't know where it goes and all that's left is the insides. Do you ever see like a a cat sitting on your mat with a little tail sticking out of its mouth? Every day, every day she's there. Poor Andreas has to get a little spade and clear up the entrails, throw them into the neighbour's yard. Oh, is that what you do? And you throw your snails over the fence as well, don't you? You horrible people. Everything. (laughs) Well, Michelle, tell me something. So, the Teacher's Pet podcast is no longer available for download. That's correct. In order not to prejudice the trial against Chris Dawson. For those of you who drop in and drop out, I have had some listeners say to me, they often just tune in and they don't know what we're talking about. And you give a little rundown about this every week. It's Michelle is talking about the Teacher's Pet podcast, which is from The Australian, which is a reputable journalistic podcast from Australia about a very famous Australian cold case of the case of missing person Lynn, Lynette Dawson and her husband is accused of making her go missing. His name's Chris Dawson, and he was a PE teacher in the 70s and 80s, affiliated with one one of the popular football teams. And because of the podcast, the case has garnered more interest. And now currently, right now, there's a trial. Yes, that is, in a nutshell, pretty good. So Chris Dawson... And it was a dirty old PE teacher that used to shag his students. Well, that was what I was going to say. Ah. So, Lynn went missing in 1982. Chris was shagging his student and kids' babysitter, Joanne Curtis, at the time. Three days later, Lynn went mysteriously missing. He then moved his teenage lover into the family home. Poor old Lynette's never been seen again. Yep. And this teacher's pet podcast was absolutely brilliant. And look... I know that they probably think it's not going to influence the trial. That's why they've taken it off. But back in 2020, they already had 30 million downloads. Yeah. So, cat's out of the bag. They stopped it then in 2019, in December 2019, when they arrested him again. And I know this because I was in Australia when that happened. They had to take it down then. Right. So, when I was in Australia... A friend of mine actually was called for jury duty and they were told that it would be a case that could potentially go on for some time. Uh, They went to jury duty and they pleaded their case that they were going on holiday and they didn't get on the jury duty. But they are convinced it was a Chris Dawson case. Wow. So... We could have had an inside track. Well, but you we couldn't don't. because it's naughty to do to talk about things like that. Yes, I know. But we give our eavesdroppers everything that we can. We do. In fact, if you are not a Patreon patron, 
of our Patreon page, we actually have recently put up an extra droppings episode full of celebrity gossip, things that we couldn't possibly say for free. So that's why you need to contribute a little bit of extra poundage or pennies or pence or whatever. That's a lot of peas. I hope my microphone's not too plosive. Sorry if it isn't. But Michelle, I was just going to say about jury service and jury duty. I've got a friend who's actually going to start jury service next week. We don't know what it is that they're going to be sitting in on, but I can't wait to find out. Actually, I'm hoping it's not anything too nasty because recently on the news here in the United Kingdom, I didn't hear the whole story. Maybe it's worth looking into, but there was a dreadful case of child neglect which resulted in a child abuse, which resulted in the child's death. And the jury of that trial were fucking traumatised. Excuse the language, but they were. And I think that there's some issues now about what they subject ordinary people on the street who have to get called up to do this jury service and they have to sit through weeks and weeks of evidence and photography and pictures and witness statements and testimonials and whatnot. And it can be quite alarming and it can be quite distressing. And I've never done jury service, so I don't know. Yeah, look, I think people should be offered counselling after jury duty in extreme cases because, yeah, Yeah. of course you would be traumatised. But just circling back, I just want to give a quick update on this Chris Dawson case because the Crown Prosecution just a few days ago delivered its final closing submissions. So the trial's now in its closing stages against Chris Dawson. Now, there were a couple of pieces of evidence that have caused a sensation. So, there was a classified ad put in the Daily Telegraph newspaper in Australia by Chris Dawson on March 27, 1982. Now, this was the day after his wedding anniversary. For anyone who maybe doesn't know what a classified ad is, (laughs) it's part of a newspaper where people put public notices like births, deaths and marriages and maybe... Selling a car. Happy... Buying a kitten. Selling a car. Looking for love. Looking for love. Lonely heart stuff. So he had put an ad in that said, Lynn, I love you. We all miss you. Please ring. We want you home. Chris. Mm. I can see your face. What do you make about that? Well, I've been listening to the trial podcast. So I know that he said that he didn't report her missing for weeks on end because he said she was calling and he was speaking to her. And that's going to be his line. And he made sure to say that very pointedly to his twin brother, whose name I can't remember, in taped phone calls because they knew their phone calls were being taped. In fact, they say that at the beginning of the phone conversations. Well, if what you say is true, this message, Lynn, I love you. We all miss you. Please ring. Yeah. She's not ringing. She's not ringing. Okay. And also he had already moved Joanne in. But people could say that he'd moved Joanne, his ba- sorry, his babysitter. He'd already moved his babysitter in. But maybe people could say he moved his babysitter in because he needed help with the kids. What? And then shagged her because she... And then married her. And then married her. Because the thing is, if you look at what that message says, it's sort of touching in a surface way. Yeah. But it's a day after their wedding anniversary. So it's not on their wedding anniversary. Exactly. So he's kind of fucked that up. Typical man. Never remembers. Yep. Then also, it doesn't really say that much. If your wife's gone missing, you really want her back. Wouldn't you say something a little more sincere and genuine? Although, to be fair, back then, you did pay by the word. Right. Also. Is he a cheapskate? Maybe. And then prosecutors basically say it's a hole in Chris Dawson's story and an attempt to sort of Ah. falsely portray himself as an abandoned husband. We know that he wasn't 
an abandoned husband because, and I'll get onto this, there's a very interesting part of this case. Basically, as you said, he'd moved Joanne in. Joanne was living in Lynn's house, shagging Lynn's husband, wearing Lynn's clothes and being a mum to Lynn's kids. So there wasn't much of a life for Lynn to come back to. The court are saying, no, mate, you're just trying to paint yourself in a positive light and cure the one who's been abandoned. But also, apparently the court had heard that Chris had repeatedly proposed to Joanne Curtis while she was still a student. And there was a birthday card that Chris Dawson had given to Joanne on her 17th birthday before all of this had happened that read, hoping today is a very happy one, knowing that we will share all the birthdays to follow, all my love forever. So to me, that indicates he intends to spend his life with Joanne, not Lynn. Now, the final thing I want to talk to you about is the prosecution has alleged that Chris Dawson hatched four failed plots to leave Lynn and be with Joanne before ultimately deciding to kill Lynn. The first plot was Chris Dawson tried to move into a flat in Manly with Joanne Curtis in 1981. Lynn went missing Mm -hmm. January 82. And he even put down a deposit for this flat, but he didn't go through with it in the end because he was worried about Mm. jeopardising his property rights to the house if there was a separation. Plan two was the hitman angle, which we've talked about before. I think that's what happened. Yep. I don't think he put his hands on her. I think it was a hitman. I do too, because the question all the time is, did you kill Lynn Dawson? No. Technically? Yeah. He's telling the truth. I think this is the most likely that he put a hit on her Mm. as well. It's come to light in the trial, actually. And you had mentioned this just previously. Um, Chris Dawson was in the Newtown Jets, which is a rugby league team. One of his teammates, Robert Silkman, has told the court that on an end-of-season trip in October 1975, quite a few years beforehand, Chris Dawson had approached him on the return flight on this end of season trip and asked him if he knew anyone who could quotation marks get rid of his wife and then there's plan three which is chris dawson tried to sell the family home at bayview but lynn didn't want to because she loved that house so she was standing in the way and he was trying to get rid of her then and plan Mm. four obviously he'd gone up to queensland with joanne just before christmas in 1981 Then Joanne asked him to turn around at the Queensland border. So the pair drove back to Sydney on Christmas Day. And then Lynn went missing around January 8, 1982, a couple of weeks later. Mm -hmm. So look, the Crown's court case is hinged on Lynn's time of death, which they say happened between a phone call Lynn made to her mum, Helena Sims, where she apparently sounded drunk, and which anyone listening to that podcast would have come to the conclusion that she'd been sedated potentially by Chris who knows and the next afternoon before Chris Dawson went to the Northbridge Baths where he was cited and it's between those two times that the prosecution is saying Chris murdered Lynn Mm -hmm. because each of his plans to leave Lynn and be with Joanne failed so we'll keep you up to date eavesdroppers on this case because it's going to wrap up let's hope they're interested (laughs) Oh, they will be because it's really riveting. And it's a real-time case. We always do these cold cases where there's no... That's right. There's no 
end and this potentially could have an end. So anyone yeah. who's outside of Australia who does want to listen to the Teacher's Pet podcast, you can. And I will put a link in the show notes. Link, show notes, Shelley. Up they go, the old show notes. <laughs> She's going to put a link, going to put a link. Now, Michelle, last week's episode on the FDLS, I can't remember Warren what that Jeff's, stands for. The Fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints. Warren yeah. Jeff's dirty old bastard. That's it. Anyone get back to you to say how appalling the story was or that they'd seen the Netflix show or whatever? No, a lot of people had never heard of it. Um, it ah. was their first foray into it. And obviously, I'm glad we did give a Great. trigger warning because, you know, I've came at it from the angle of a girl who survived the cult and had gotten away and had actually done good in the end. Yeah. But yeah, thank God. watching that Netflix and show yeah. notes, I did put a link to the trailer. Oh, Shelly show notes, the, she whacked it up. I did. And even from the trailer for that Netflix series, it just not nice. absolutely horrific. I'm telling you, I'm not watching it. No, I don't actually no want to watch it. I don't want that sullying my mind. No. But this uh, podcast, as you probably know, because you're an eavesdropper, bless your heart, we love you, is usually in the format of Michelle telling a story or me telling a story, Geordie. I'm Geordie. I'm Michelle. And then, and, then, <laughs> and then halfway through, we swap over and neither of us know what we're talking about. We had a listener in south of France. Hello, Anna. Thank you for writing in. Who suggested... That we, because she loves your enthusiasm, Michelle, when she hears you talking about such things as Chris Dawson and whatnot. And she feels that it's sometimes, even though we do our research, it's too brief. And she wondered if we would do a series of deep dive, summer deep dive sessions. <laughs> so this is our first summer deep dive session where we go into something that we're passionate about or interested in. And we take the floor with minimal interruptions from our partner can't guarantee that can't guarantee maximum (laughs) maximum interruptions from our partner who will always have something to say or a quip to add great lay it on me what do you got well michelle you know we started this podcast because we were interested in the supernatural the paranormal the spooky wookies the ghosty woasties the ufos the little green men the murders We knew a murderer. That's why we started this podcast, because we love talking about all that spooky, ooky shit. Well, We also do love talking about real life as well. That's right. We Because we, guess what? Well, last week's episode was real life, wasn't it? It was, with a hint of spooky and everything, but... Cult. Every culty walties. But real life, (laughs) it's what we are. We are living real life. We are. Thank God, not true crime. That's right, Michelle. Or the supernatural. Real life. Real life. True crime. Well, the thing is, back in in the 80s, when I was a teenager, I was interested in all this stuff. And I had a friend who is a mutual friend of ours, Chris Campbell, actually shout out. I don't know if he listens, but we were in a science fiction class and he used to recommend books to me and whatnot. And he recommended this one book to me and it absolutely changed me. It troubled me. And I want to talk today about the author, Whitley Strieber who I mention a lot on this podcast and I have mentioned him before. He's an author who, he was quite big. He was supposed to be the next Stephen King and he wrote horror novels like one called The Wolfen about wolves that turned into people. (laughs) What are they called? The Wolfen and it was about wolves. (laughs) 
<laughs> what do they call those wolfy people? Werewolves. <laughs> That's it. And then there was The Hunger. He wrote The Hunger, which I have mentioned recently in our science episode about the multiverse because we were talking about time and people growing old and etc. It's a film by Tony Scott starring Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon and, da- Sarandon and David Bowie. It's a vampire film. Catherine Deneuve's character she can infect and take a human lover like make them a a vampire but not for life they only live 200 years and at the end of those years we see David Bowie is her consort at that time but then she starts to woo the character of it's a doctor character that Susan Sarandon plays oh it's interesting lesbian it's quite cult vampire movie so inclusive what did you say inclusive it's so inclusive (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't leave anyone out. I'm sure it was more to be titillating rather than inclusive, though, when it was written. Times have changed. Times have moved on. Times have changed. I'm not talking about those fiction books. I'm talking about his non-fiction book called Communion. And on the front cover, it says, a true story. I think Jen had Communion. Well, she had Nostradamus's prophecies as well, didn't she? Oh, she had a lot. She also had, you know, your star sign, love signs and all that kind of stuff. Jen loved all this. I'm sure that's where we got... She's esoteric. She is, and, I, and I'm sure that's where we got our love and interest of all things Spooky Weeky from Jen. But I can picture that cover. Well, you'll know it's quite famous. But let's move on before yes. I go into the cover, because I do talk about the cover later. Mm. It's an account of Whitley's strange experience on Boxing Day. That's where the story starts, 1985, at his family's cabin in upstate New York, and it had a profound and life-changing effect on him. The book itself was best non-fiction bestseller for six months when it was first published in February 1987, and Strieber tells of experiencing, in the book, lost time and flashbacks. Oh, my God. I'm loving it already. It's great. Terrified by these experiences, Whitley Strieber begins to unravel. Really? Bit by bit, yeah. He really struggles and his family are confused, his friends are confused, he's confused, upset, his personality changes. So... He's been snatched by aliens. Well, there is an incident previous to that in October when they went to this cabin in the woods with some friends, a couple, and one night they all experienced a crazy night of weird dreams, flashing lights, weird sounds, unsettled feelings the next day. These two people were witness to that. So that coupled with what happened to him on Boxing Day in 1980, what did I say? Five. Five. Whitley, after a long time of really struggling, thinking he was really unwell, mentally unwell, or that he was sick or he'd been a victim of a crime... He eventually reaches out to a hypnotist called Dr. Donald Klein. And under hypnosis, he unlocks a barrage of hidden memories of lifelong interaction and interference with two kinds of beings, which he calls visitors. He doesn't want to label them as anything more, but he does say that these two sets of visitors that he interacts with, there's the intelligent tall greys who he learns from and then there's the short green doctors who experiment on him yes michelle it's an aliens chat my god we're deep diving into aliens this is amazing but also can i say you just threw me momentarily when you said dr donald klein because why is he your doctor your hypnotist (laughs) he's my gyno do you remember (laughs) wrong end donald (laughs) That is the name of the doctor 
the fertility fraud doctor who has oh. 87 children all in the same oh, town. Yes. Dr. Donald Klein. My God. Could I get you to quickly research that and find out if they're related? They can't possibly be. They couldn't possibly be. Well, you keep chatting. I'm going to duck, duck, go that. I might even have that name wrong. There's a possibility. <laughs> I just wanted to say Dr. that we have talked about aliens several times previously, for oh. example, and UFOs. We had a chat about them in season one, episode three, which I think was Don't Look Up, Bright Lights in the Sky, some real life experiences from Michelle. Then there's some extra droppings that follow that. There's a news dropping in season two, episode 27, where Michelle talks about Westall in Australia, where school children encounter aliens. There's an episode also in season two of 31 of the Pentagon UAP report, Are UFOs Real?, and then there's an episode 33 in the same season, season two, Potluck. Michelle talks about alien portals. Season two, episode 52, Rendlesham. God, we love aliens. We love aliens. We talked about empaths and Sean Ryder's experiences with UFOs and my favourite, Fort Benning. I can't remember what episode that was, but the list goes on. So we're going to go deep down about aliens today. So sorry if you're expecting murders and piss and shit. This is what we're talking about today. Going back to the incident in question that sparked everything off for Whitley Strieber. On December 26th, Boxing Day, 1985, 40-year-old Whitley Strieber was woken in the night by a peculiar whooshing and swirling noise coming from his living room in this remote cabin. And along with his wife and young son, they experienced a very hectic night. While he was in his bedroom, having been awoken, he noticed a little figure peering around the corner in the corner of his room it kind of edged its way around and before you know it this little figure was upon him or on his bed or on him on him I'm actually really scared talking about it because I watched the film with Christopher Walken and I had to stop not because it was scary it was terrible and Christopher Walken as Whitley Strieber was actually just Christopher Walken going crazy but and we do love Christopher Walken we do we do he's gorgeous no, I just got really freaked out for a second there. But because I'm remembering when I read the story, when I read the book, I lost sleep. It was terrible. So he had this little creature in his room. Everyone's worst nightmare. Someone's in your room. And it came up to him and touched him with like a wand, like a Harry Potter style wand or even an E.T. long finger. Before you know it, he's floating around. Suddenly he's outside in the woods screaming. And then he what? passes out. Yeah. Now, can I just ask you, does Whitley Strieber have any previous kind of mental health no like addiction issues like opium like hallucinogenics is he an alcoholic does he have any issues well I don't know about that Michelle I don't know about the opiates and hallucinogens but I do know that around this time shortly after this occurred he lost himself in the bottle definitely because he was just so anguished and full of anxiety because of what happened to him so when he woke up he was in a strange room and this is where he encounters the little green doctors who look different I think that I don't even know what color they are actually maybe they're green I can't remember it's hard without having the book to hand to remember all these things you can't really find it on the internet you can find it on the YouTubes definitely (laughs) interviews but so he's being probed by these green doctors little ones and then there's the taller almond-eyed bald-headed, gangly, female, he calls them, female entities, which he calls the greys. And they are talking to him, trying to calm him down. And then eventually, after being poked and prodded and, and all sorts, he's had this probe in his ear, he's had it up his bum, he's had it everywhere. He then wakes up 
This is where the whole trend for anal probes happened, isn't it? I'm not sure. I think Betty and Barney, they also experienced this. The but original. I think they I think he's popularized the anal probe theory. <laughs> the theory. Well, someone had to, Michelle. Someone had to popularize the anal probe because it wasn't doing well on its own. <laughs> Anywho. So there's also sexual things as well that happened to him. Well, he had an but, anal probe up his ass. Yeah, but other things as well, other weird things like experimenting with him sexually, all kinds of strange things. Oh, I can't yeah. remember exactly, but he was returned home and his memories were wiped. So he wakes up and feels weird and that's when his personality starts to change and his wife and son are having a hard time with him, his friends. He can't write. It's terrifying for him. So, like I said, he thinks he's sick or whatever. Through talking to a lot of people about a lot of different things, he eventually finds this hypnosis doctor. Yeah. And he begins to remember specific details of terrifying encounters with these visitors that last all the way back to childhood that he's been <gasps> suppressing all this time. You have to wonder if there's any kind of grain of truth to this because obviously, like, I'm suspending my disbelief. But yeah, do you think... That people who end up becoming horror writers or they are writing about aliens or this and that, is it subconsciously coming from a place where they have been messed around with since childhood by aliens? Right. Okay. Well, at some point later on, I'll come back to that one, Michelle. I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say is he living in a fantasy world because he's always writing about these fantastical things? No. You're saying, was he inspired from the beginning? That yes. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. I've got something interesting to tell you about that later on. But for now, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It does seem a little bit... Doing this research, and at the time I absolutely believed him, hence I was absolutely frightened myself of this happening to me. We all were. I mean, the anal probe made everyone scared of aliens. No one wants an anal probe. Or do they? I don't know. (laughs) But listen, there is a recording of his first hypnosis with Dr. Donald, let's just call him that, on SoundCloud, which delves into it about him seeing the visitor, of it standing in the corner of his room, of needles in his ear that cause explosions, of shocking images. That's how he describes it. I listened to it. And it's got a preface of Whitley Strieber talking about it beforehand, saying, do not let children listen to this. It's very distressing. There's a lot of screaming. Obviously, it wasn't meant to be played to people that's why it's poor quality and he's talking about his everyday life in the beginning for ages and I don't hear a lot of screaming I hear a bit of crying Mm. but not much screaming he's definitely freaked out he's trying to make sense of it all the way through though did you listen to the whole thing pretty much not all of it because some of it was boring but he would say (laughs) things like there was a needle in his head and suddenly he'd have images and I remember this when I listened it came back to me from the book images of the world on fire of nuclear holocaust of weird horrible things and he was being shown what he thought was at first the future and that he was being warned but actually on reflection under hypnosis he starts to wonder Is it just my own fears? Because he was frightened of nuclear war. He had a young child. He was worried for his child's future. These are all his own fears. So he wondered if he was being tested. Right. He also says, whilst under hypnosis, it's a relief to be able to remember these things. Even though they're frightening, he just realises now that he's been fighting not to remember this. And that's probably why he became so angry and so hard to be around during post 
experience of 1985 on Boxing Day. And gradually, Michelle, he uncovers some memories of childhood experiences, like I said, of being taken from his home or his car and experimented on and of being in a school with other children. What, like alien school? Yeah, being taught. Jesus. He's got a lot of weird memories, which he's not often sure are real. Maybe too much hypnosis? I don't know. Or maybe it did really happen. Have you ever been under hypnosis? No. No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah, quite a lot. Did you dance like a chicken? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, in front of a crowd. No, I, I have been under hypnosis. And, I mean, obviously, when you're under, you don't really remember what they're saying because... Really? No, you don't. Oh. This is the thing. You have to really have trust in your hypnotist because you remember going under. Yeah. Because they take you down into like a very relaxed state. And wow. I've had a couple of incidents of, of hypnosis where you think, oh, God, I paid for an hour session and it's been five minutes. And actually it's right. been longer than an hour. And you're like, Fuck, oh, I literally have no memory. So they could be saying anything to you. Are they recorded? No, oh. my ones weren't. I actually think Eel. for safety they should be because then you can go back. Yeah, you might be being fiddled with, Michelle. Well, I think you'd physically know if you were being touched because you would come out of it. But mentally, you don't really know what messages they are saying. Like you hear the beginning until you really drift in and you sort of do have awareness. It could be like MK Ultra being told to go and kill someone. Well, I haven't yet, I hope, but you know. That you know of. That I know of. You never know. It could be the killing machine. But there was this one time I was under hypnosis where it was a very particular type of hypnosis and it separated the two halves of your your brain, your consciousness. Yuck. And oh. so it was the most bizarre experience. I didn't like it and I didn't go back to that type of hypnosis. No. But it is really, really powerful. How did you feel? Look, the first time it was for a specific incident that I found very traumatic and I was crying about it all the time. And in real life, very shortly afterwards, maybe a week when I was talking about this incident and I went to cry and I couldn't. I went and then I went... Ugh. And I started laughing because there was no tears that came out. I just couldn't cry. And I thought, wow, that bloody hypnosis really works. And I think it's incredibly powerful. But like I said, you have to have trust. And also in the wrong hands, yeah, it can be used against you. Look around my eyes, not in my (laughs) eyes. When I'm looking at you, what am I looking (laughs) for you? Guess what? Did you know aliens are real? The Earth is actually flat and you can have sex with a ghost. Open your eyes, dear. Going back to Whitley Strieber, he doesn't say if he thinks these beings are aliens, like I said before. He likes to call them visitors, but he wonders if they're time travellers or interdimensional beings Mm. or if he had some kind of madness or illness relating to his brain. All of these things were going through his head. Reading the book was incredibly frightening, obviously, for the the author, but also for the person reading the book, as I've already illustrated. Mm. It's terrifying. It's touched so many people, this book. Whitley seems to think these beings are here to help, though, despite their fascination with poking and prodding and other unsavoury experiments. Well, do you remember last week we talked about aliens, benign aliens, yes. aliens who are here to yes. harm us? So... yes. He's saying basically they're both. Yes, that's Mm. exactly what he's saying. He's both terrified and in awe of these things. He also wonders during the time when all this is going on if his son has been 
visited because they will talk about dreams that they've had and they are eerily <sighs> similar. And he's only young, the little boy now, at the time. Now, can I just also say, we do talk about aliens and visitations and all sorts of things in this podcast regularly. But... We do. To aliens, we are the mice. We are the ones yeah. they experiment on. They're just using us the way we use mice to just get information that they need. So why couldn't mm. Whitley's story be true? I'm just going to put that there. I'm going to park that thought there. Okay. Park it there. So in his quest to discount a brain injury or malfunction, Whitley undergoes a battery of physical and psychological tests. And once he's been given the clean bill of health, he starts to now wonder, are these visitors real? Particularly because a babysitter who was looking after his son and his wife and son all reported seeing a white orb-like creature along with his neighbours also reporting seeing this white orb before the book was published. So there are witness statements backing him up. Look, I think it's pretty natural to question your sanity and to question yourself when things that are so far removed from your everyday experience are happening to you. I think it's absolutely normal. But for people outside of your sphere, neighbours, to report seeing glowing orbs, I think that's got to give you some kind of validation. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably what led him down the paranormal route in the first place, Mm. I'd say. So we were talking before about are they bad? Are they good? Well, during one of his encounters, he remembers them asking, what can we do to stop you screaming? And all of the communication, Michelle, is done via uh, mind. Telepathy. What do you call it? ESP. Telepathy. At one point, they say, what can we do to stop you screaming? And he says, let me smell you. What an unusual reply. But he can't remember what they smelled like. If he does, I couldn't find... Because this is a YouTube video I was watching where he, he talks about this. And another time, he asked them, why did you come here? And they replied, we saw a light. Oh, well, Earth. Earth was glowing. Yeah. And they also said they presumed... Earth was a school, going back to your where oh. mice were experiments point. So maybe they're just learning. It's their biology class. Oh, my God. <laughs> they've gone on a field trip. <laughs> they've come to Earth. They're sticking things up people's butts. Yeah. Going back to an earlier point you made about horror writers and whatnot being given these visits, right? And that's what leads them into their Mm, profession, their career and their genre. Okay, here's what made me think of this. I thought of that too when I was doing my research. The visitors told Whitley he was their chosen one. Hmm. But what happened to him, obviously, as a result of that was paranoia, inability to sleep and becoming very, very unwell. In fact, the title of the book was originally going to be Body Terror. Well, I'm glad it was called (laughs) Communion instead because Body Terror. (laughs) Awful. But he does wonder... Because like he does have all these memories coming back. And spoiler, he goes on to write loads more books about this. He wonders if somebody like Steven Spielberg had been visited as well. And I've mentioned this previously on the podcast. And we have wondered this. Yes, I remember this has been brought up before. And I wonder, Stephen King, has he been visited? You know, Mm. all of these insanely talented writers who were pulling these stories out of nowhere are they really or are they just deep diving into their own experiences that they have been well the reason why Whitley Strieber mentions Steven Spielberg is because he's done two films which are almost identical to his experiences in Close Encounters of the Third Kind the little creatures that come out 
lots of little green doctors, yeah. the little ones, and then there's the big one, the big rubbery one in the middle. Yeah, the rubbery. Then there's <laughs> ET with the old finger looking like a wand. Making you have images. Okay. Or did Whitley watch those films and then have a dream? You see, this is the thing. Which came first? The timeline. Those came first. They did. E.T. and Close Encounters were all before he started losing his mind in 1985. So did he lose his mind? This is the thing. People are divided about Whitley Strieber. A lot of people really admire him and empathise with him because he went through hell, obviously. And now he's vilified mostly by people just saying, you're just trying to make a quick buck on Alien. The horror genre wasn't working out for you. So you just turn your hand to a true story. Sensationalism. That's a bit mean. Well, people think it, you know. And actually by the... But the thing is... The hunger, he would have already made loads of cash off that. So he wasn't a failed writer. No, he's not failed at all. And you'll go on to find out more about that. But listen, a year after the book was released, one of his neighbours, who is a retired state policeman, actually confessed to Whitley that he saw something strange on the night of the 26th of December. And he's very ashamed that he never said anything afterwards. (gasps) What he saw was in the field near to the house, their houses. He was driving home from a party with his wife and he saw what he thought was a grey blimp above the field. Okay. And it looked weird. It looked wrong. It looked like it was in trouble, like it had crash landed. So he pulls over. He says to the wife to stay in the car. He walks off to see if he can help. As he approaches, yeah. he can hear from within the blimp human screaming. Oh so God. he's like, fuck, I've got to get in there. And as he gets closer... The blimp begins to the light. The lights come on. Blinding lights come on. The blimp begins to growl and chase him. So he, oh my god, he turns tail, runs back to his petrified, screaming wife in the car, and they drive off. That's them done. Of course, you fucking would. Yeah. I mean, like, do you know what? Hats off that he's prepared to go in and and try and help people in distress inside a blimp because if you circle back to the episode where that Queensland cop did not help yes the missing girl in Canberra Liz Herford you know people don't have a tendency to step in stick their nose in but good on him yeah however can you imagine how freaked out you would be yeah but this again grave not graveside confessions, but people who just hold information and then can't hold on to it anymore and have to confess. Well, this is what mm. happened, Michelle. Whitley, after his experiences, was so utterly freaked out, he thought he'd been the victim of a crime I mentioned earlier. So he went round to this mm. neighbour and said, who can I contact? Something weird happened to me and I don't know what it is, but something odd happened. I need to talk to the state uh, law enforcers who's the best person to contact and the guy yeah. just said oh okay uh, here's the number for the nearest police station good luck he never said do you know I what I saw something mention. weird that night no it was only after the book came out obviously he'd read it and went fuck that's what I saw yeah. too but also too you imagine super respected um, retired ex-cop doesn't want to like sully his reputation or his mental health Mm. with people thinking that he's gone crazy. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So I mentioned before that he was under a hypnosis doctor called Donald Klein. He came to Donald Klein, though, after speaking to Bud Hopkins, who is an American artist, author and ufologist. He was a prominent figure in alien abduction and UFO research. So in a way, I'm wondering if he's researching 
a book. So this makes me wonder sometimes whether or not it's true or not. Also, the cover painting that you said, the cover painting is quite striking. It's a beautiful rendering of an alien. It's a grey, even though the picture is not grey. It's kind of beiges and things. And it's done by an artist called Ted Seth Jacobs. It's considered to be one of the most widely recognised popular culture images of the alleged grey aliens. And most people, when talking about their alien abductions or greys, refer back to that image and the likeness of that. So the movie in 1989, it was made starring Christopher Walken as Whitley Strieber. It was a bit shit. The music was by Eric Clapton. So it was very moody. <laughs> by who? Eric Clapton. Lots of guitar. Oh. And I think that Streber was uh, working on the screenplay and producing, but I think it didn't really work out well for anyone involved in the film because it didn't make a lot of sense and people didn't really like it, I don't think. So Whitley Streber, in his quest to find uncover all this stuff, he has gone under hypnosis many times, but he does acknowledge that hypnosis is not a reliable tool for discovering the truth. He's also passed two lie detector tests, also not always accurate, but one of them was demanded by the BBC before he came on to do a TV show. I think it was called After Dark. I'm not sure what the TV show was. And he's also done a voice stress test. It doesn't say what the results are, but I'm assuming he passed. You would assume so. But it's interesting that, you know, I was talking before about hypnosis. I went there for behavioural change. Yeah. You know, he's going there to uncover Uncover. memories. You did mention that he found this particular hypnotist through a ufologist what if he's being set up well i think it's more likely that he's setting something up i think it's more likely he is setting it all up that's what occurred to me just thinking oh i need a new angle for my book i can't write horror this is a big pr stunt Mm. it's actually you know the book is horrifying it's not necessarily horror it's a true story maybe it's the blair witch of the of that generation maybe you know maybe or orson wells the what's that one called the people who landed on earth What's that called again? The chances of anything coming to Earth and a million to one, they say. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. But do you know what? I should ask Jen because she did have this book and I should ask her what the mood yeah. at the time yeah. was about that book. Well, I read the book in 85. No, I read it in 87 actually. So also Whitley has undergone a CAT scan to rule out brain abnormalities because you were wondering earlier if his uh, brain was working properly. Two tests for temporal lobe epilepsy. Okay, good to know. Which involves unexplained panic states and vivid hallucinations. What does that say there? I mean, I haven't finished all my notes, clearly. Oh, question mark. And several MRIs and psychiatric evaluations. I wonder if Paul Whitley, if he was having a breakdown, was having these temporal lobe tests, and maybe there is the odd thing up his bum or up his nose. And he's in a, you know, a a vibrating MRI machine or whatever they're called, CAT scan machine. And he's feeling like I'm being experimented on these people with their masks and whatnot. Or maybe it was just giving him ideas for a story. I mean, I'm really not convinced. I'm not sure. At the time, I absolutely was. But now, Michelle, I'm just not convinced. I'm not sure. Okay. But... Do you remember we talked a few episodes ago about a guy who was a time traveller and he said he had in the palm of his hand a little thing inserted under the skin? Well, it would be interesting to know if there had been any physical evidence found on Whitley's body. I mean, any was there any evidence? I mean, I would not want to be the one to do this, but had his anus been propped, (laughs) you know, because that would leave a mark. I haven't inspected his anus. I'm not going to be the one that does that. 
<laughs> no. No. Really? But talking about things under the skin, the thing is, unless you buy the, all the books and read all the books. Now, I'm just talking about communion today, but he has written loads more. There's The Secret School, Preparation for Contact, which is a prequel. There is something called, oh, I can't remember, uh, lots of other books, The Greys, lots of other books, some fiction, some nonfiction about his okay. breakthrough, I think is another one. Yeah, Transformation, that's another one. Now, I haven't looked into any of those books, but maybe there's more more things about it because during the writing of communion and beyond he has obviously become quite a well-known member of the alien abduction group he's met loads more people with similar situations and stories to him and i think somewhere i found on the internet that he has had an implant that helps him to write better thanks to the to the aliens can i have one of those please or has he or has he because i couldn't find that anywhere else wow i mean don't forget that this all began because Whitley Strieber was experiencing lost time and other weird time slippy kind of things. Okay. So he first investigated the what was going on with the lost time and then discovered that he was... It all came tumbling oh. out. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. So, you know, when he said that he remembers being abducted as a child... Mm-hmm. Here's another thing I found. He was talking on the internet about an incident that he remembers being left at home by his parents who took his younger brother and sister, who was a baby, off to their country home for the weekend, leaving 11-year-old Whitley at home alone. He's 11. I'd never do that. Is that real, Did they do that often? But is that real? Did they do that often? Or was it real or was it misremembering? But he remembers being fine with it then he goes upstairs feels weird notices that there's a window either closed or open I can't remember but the window wasn't as it was he's freaked out he feels like something's in the house with him he rings his mum she says oh if you're worried about it just call the cops like really uncaring I mean this doesn't even sound real I know he calls the cops a cop turns up comes in terrified with a gun because of what he's seen outside yeah and asks 11-year-old Whitley to show him around and they go upstairs. The guy sees something and says, there's nothing to worry about and pegs it out of there. <gasps> Whitley then doesn't remember anything more apart from waking up in the morning feeling odd. Okay. These are his words. Why was he left alone? Home alone. Exactly. Was he was he traumatised? Was he making things up? I would love to know if that cop actually ever went there if there was any record of a state trooper or whatever visiting that house yeah i mean how can we check te- how can we check some of whitley's friends and accomplices accomplices some of whitley's friends and acquaintances uh, acquaintances <laughs> thank you not accomplices have come forward to say things that rebuke what he says is that the right word again i'm having difficulties yeah yeah they are Maybe they're questioning what he said. Questioning. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, let me give you some some facts here, Michelle. Strieber was born in San Antonio in Texas in 1945. He attended a central Catholic high school, Catholic family. Why is, why is the book called Communion? Okay. And why would Catholic families believe in aliens? They believe in God. They do believe in God. Or maybe it's just the whole higher power. Well, they call the higher power God. They don't call it. Aliens. Maybe he was interacting with angels. Anyway, he was a graduate then from the University of Texas in Austin, where he claims he was on campus on the day 
of the Whitman Massacre or Texas Tower Massacre. Now, I got this information from Wikipedia. On the 1st of August in 1966, after stabbing his mother and his wife to death the previous night, a man called Charles Whitman, who's a Marine veteran, took rifles and other weapons to the observation deck at the top of the main building tower at the University of Texas in Austin and then opened fire indiscriminately on people on the surrounding campus and streets. And over the next 96 minutes, he shot and killed 14 people, including an unborn child, the mother carrying that eight-month old fetus did survive but her child was killed Ugh. he shot her in the stomach oh my god and, yeah and injured 31 other people the incident ended when two policemen and a civilian reached Whitman and shot him dead so it's been suggested this poor guy he'd been struggling with a brain tumor and this is what caused him to go crazy that day but was Whitley Streber there that day because in one interview, Streber says he was enrolled in 66. That's not disputed. He said he watched during that. He was amongst it. He was being shot at. He watched two women behind him get shot in the stomach. And he even vividly described the smelling the contents of their stomach. Oh. Yeah. As they were shot and wounded, him and another person hid behind something in the meantime. He feels that the shooter, Whitman, shot these women to coax out more people and eventually, because they were crying and screaming for help, these women, in Whitley's statement. Oh, my God. This person that was hiding with Whitley, he did go around to try and rescue one of the women, was shot in the head immediately. So Whitley cowered behind his safe place until it was all over. And even then he remembers saying, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out until I know he's, he's not there anymore. Okay. He was absolutely fearful. So that's what he said happened. But then he later on reneges that and says, no, I wasn't there. What? But I looked up about the wounded and the injured and two women together were not shot in the stomach. Yes, there was the pregnant woman who was shot in the stomach and her male companion was killed. Yeah. So maybe so he's, he's confused. Got a vivid imagination. Yeah. Or because also he says in the beginning of, of his experiences when he was hypnotized, he sees a recently dead friend in a park. Okay. And he also has that friend visit him in the woods when he's being abducted. Okay. I'm sorry I can't give you more information than that because it is all over the place. Well, it does sound like his mind is a bit of a jumble and yeah. he's having difficulty separating reality from, you know, his imagined fantasy life. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. So there's a journalist and freelance writer, Ed Conroy. He also comes from San Antonio. He wrote an analysis of communion called... Report on Communion, an independent investigation of, and commentary on Whitley Strieber's Communion. That's the title of his report. Great. And in it, it's very, uh, very snappy title. In it, he suggests connections between the visitors and its analysis via Jungian psychoanalysis. Now, I am studying counselling at the moment. I have studied psychoanalysis, but I haven't touched on Jung yet. So I don't know about dream analysis yet, but I wonder. Oh, God, I did. I looked into this a long time ago. I'm just trying to dig deep into my memory. But Jungian mm. dream therapy, it's all about symbols and yeah. connecting these symbols. And yes, Jung came up, if I'm correct, and I might not be. For example, uh, loose teeth in your dream means X, Y, Z. Do you know what I mean? So he's yeah. making yeah. these connections. So Okay. Yeah. So... This writer, Ed Con Conroy, then, whilst writing, 
starts experiencing some unusual things as well. He feels that he's mostly being trailed by helicopters. What? Yeah, he becomes really paranoid. He found these helicopters trailing him were really aggressive and that they intended to buzz by at alarmingly low altitudes, sometimes pointing a searchlight at him, even in broad daylight. And he has witnesses to prove it. Okay. Weird. That's very weird. And I would love to know what kind of witnesses saw that because that is something you can't fake and fuck around with. That's like, hey, there's a a heli. (laughs) Weird. So Whitley Strieber, after his first encounters, was diagnosed with PTSD and for several years suffered from depression and he was unresponsive to medication. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, the family were driven out of their isolated upstate New York cabin because of locals not liking the attention that it brought upon them, probably. And they would find things like people had gotten in through their security system because they have a security system and in the movie yeah i don't remember it from the book but in the movie these aliens will turn it all off and just get in so the alarms don't go off you see so the visitors were doing that but also their neighbors who drove them out of town according to the streamers they also would bypass the system they'd break in they'd go through his files and put a virus on his computer that nearly destroyed all of his work and according to whitley streber they would open cans of gas and put them around where the oil burners were in the basement. So they were really telling them, get the fuck out of town. Is that true, though? Because that's quite I aggressive. I don't know. And who has all that spare time to go around doing that? And why didn't they just get a new Locals? security system? Local yeah, people. Yeah, I know. Locals. I don't know. Strieber concludes that the human species is being guided by these higher beings to a new level of understanding and existence within an endless multiverse of matter energy, space and time. Well, I like that. He also talked about the downsides of being the chosen one, which is living on constant fear, being sleep deprived and self-medicating on copious amounts of alcohol. Is it right? Are we wrong? Is it fact or is it just my opinion? Can't it be both? But here's a couple of little tidbits to finish up with, Michelle. A couple of bits of trivia. In the TV series, now I couldn't find anything to back this up, but in the TV series Babylon 5, there was an alien race that is similar to the Greys yeah. in communion and they are named Streeps after Whitley Strieber. Oh, that's nice. Now going back to him being a successful writer, he turned his hand along with Art Bell, who is the famous founder and original host of the paranormal-themed radio program Coast to Coast AM, and where I get a lot of the research that I do for this program. Art Bell is a rich source. Together with him, they did some investigation into climate change. So one night after a book tour, Strieber says that a mysterious man knocked on his hotel door and said to him that our understanding of global warming is inaccurate. Instead of just making the earth hotter, it would cause extreme weather on both ends of the spectrum. So Whitley started talking to his friend Art Bell and they decided to write a book on the subject called The Coming Global Superstorm. And despite being a nonfiction book with a few fictional interludes, Hollywood adapted it into a movie which made half a million dollars at the box office. That movie was... The Day After Tomorrow, made in 2004, which is a disaster film directed and produced 
by Roland Emmerich, and it's based on their 1999 book, The Coming Global Superstar. Storm, not star, <laughs> starring Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal. Do you remember it? No. Where extreme weather events cause a new ice age, and Jake Gyllenhaal has to be the saviour, although he doesn't save everyone. Well, that was around the time I, I met him, so why don't I remember that? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, we had dinner together. What? Yes, in 2000. In your Whitley Strieber type fantasy world. No. I've told For you real? about this. I don't remember. Kirsten Dunst and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I do remember. Yes, we went out for dinner with some friends who actually About were 20 other people. No. Oh, just the four of you. No, and our other friend. There were five of us. Okay. It was an intimate dinner. Gosh. Oh. Anyway. So some, Michelle, some people might find this million dollar book advance that he was given for communion a reason to doubt the legitimacy of the whole thing. Then there's the endless prequels and sequels. But as the chosen one, Whitley hasn't done a great job of convincing the world that we are not alone because he ended up being vilified, really. Well, he did. But you know what? Anybody who has out their ideas, they are going to be... You know, they're going to be held up for scrutiny. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, of course. And, and you know, they're going to have mental health issues thrown at them and dependency issues and all sorts. So, yeah, times are tough. Life will be tough for that person forevermore. Stephen King, on the other hand, he did all right. Yeah, but he's quite private. He didn't make any outrageous claims. Yeah. No, he's basically just always says, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. That's it. You know, he doesn't say anything else so he's mm. not trying to be the chosen one or a prophet or yeah. any anything like that but gosh what an incredible story <gasps> wow I love all of that I have a lot of questions not so much questions but just things I want to look up that's super fascinating read the book communion if you like a, a scare but don't watch the film starring Christopher Walken unless you like a laugh and you've got your hand on the fast forward button because there's a lot of boring stuff in the interim and you can obviously find Whitley Strieber talking about all sorts of things particularly alien based all over YouTube so that's where you have to find your info if you're interested in this and I hope eavesdroppers that you enjoyed this deep dive summer session and I look forward (laughs) to next week when Michelle is going to regale us with something that she finds interesting Wow. Well, again, thank you. I absolutely loved eavesdropping on you, Geordie. I loved it. Except I got to comment. You sure did. Old Shelley show notes there. Well, what a ride. What a ride. But all I can say now is, and this goes for all our eavesdroppers. All of you. Yes. Out there. Is whatever you do. Wherever you are. Just just keep keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.